Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Are you ready to ramble? I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Uh, that was for, for you guys today. Uh, this all makes sense to everybody listening in a little bit, but I'm in a great mood today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into it. Drew, how are you doing, homie? I'm doing good, man. That's definitely vaulted to the very top of my favorite intros of all time. Uh, a little Bruce Buffer for, for everybody. Um, and it will it will make sense in like two minutes, but uh, I'm good. I'm really good. It's the finally starting to get a little bit chillier here in Northern California. So like I'm wearing, I got to wear a hoodie on my walk today, which I was like really excited about. And then, um, you know, we have a we have a great guest. We've uh, we've had a string of really amazing guests. Uh, if if you guys haven't listened to last week's episode, it was it was great. It was with uh, MJ Tyler, the black wine guy. Uh, MJ, and and what I've what I've been thinking about since then is you know MJ is now a two time guest and and I feel like as we've gained more followers and things like that like we can't always treat everybody like friends like we still have to kind of do the intro thing so like if you listen to that episode like you could just tell like oh we're just old friends catching up I was like oh by the way he also does all this amazing stuff and then he gives very strong opinions on corkage fees which uh our boy al went and cut out and made a couple of posts for us which is really funny so if you want really hard opinions on corkage fees at restaurants then you need to listen to last week's episode because uh mj brought some brought some heat with it and it was really really funny um, look man i today's... just i get along i get along with anybody who has really strong opinions in general which uh right. which, which <laughs> right. is why you and i get along uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and i think and i think it was you know and it was really funny because one of the things that i was telling him before was you know, the first time we talked, we didn't know how he was going to be. And then eventually, you know, when that when we hit record, he just like came alive. Right. And and on the second conversation, he was he was amazing all the way through. And there was no doubt that it was going to be a fun conversation just because, you know, he is so good at it and everything. And and ultimately what what this stuff comes down to is we're reaching out to people who we think are dope, who we think we're going to connect with. And and I got to tell you, we've been on the line for like 10 minutes so far before we started. And and I had to stop our guest. Cause I just was like, I was like, we are, we are already off to the races and there's so many things that we can talk about that it's going to be great because we're just already vibing on the same stuff. Like we're showing each other things and it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, like championship belts and whatnot. Uh, so our guest today, he is the owner of audio culture. He's the head bartender at the Garrett in New York city. He's a level two Psalm. He is part of the future 40 from wine enthusiasts and, he is an honorary member of the NWO. Our guest today, Charlie Reyes. Charlie, welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Wanted to tell our guests a little bit about yourself. If you're sipping on something, why you wore an NWO shirt in your wine enthusiast photo shoot, let's hear it. Uh, yeah, man. Well, th- first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I'm truly, truly humbled to be invited on the show. 
Um, as far as what I'm sipping on, I'm sipping on two specific things. One, I think you're going to pop forward right away. So I'm having a Steve Weiser uh, <laughs> to start off the day. Uh, like the it. Steve Austin Broken Skull uh, American Lager. Um, so for those not familiar, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, iconic pro wrestling of legend, uh, has become an entrepreneur of sorts. A lot of wrestlers have tried to dabble into our industry in various ways. It's kind of how I ended up um, in the positions that I'm in now because uh, I have an opinion on both. But um, So I'm having uh, one of his Broken Skull uh, lagers, uh, which is awesome for me because it was ex- only on the West Coast up until about 2020. Um, so it's only been available uh, on the East Coast with regularity over the last couple of years. It's delicious. Uh, and I'm also sipping on some uh, tequila. I'm having some Comos uh, Cristalino. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's uh, I'm I'm uh, subjectively in love with it. Um, be- not just because of the content in the bottle, uh, but because of the people behind it. So it's a Cristalino filtered tequila. It's añejo. Uh, what I really love about it is that it gets aged in. Um, Chardonnay barrels, uh, Chardonnay um, oak barrels. So uh, it get, it takes on some of those more Burgundian wine notes um, that you would get in uh, white Burgundy. So, you know, some mm-hmm. of that limestone, some of that citrus, some of those really fun crisp notes, um, as opposed to the opposite of that that you would get uh, even in finer uh, Añejo tequilas. So I, um, but also um, good friends with uh, Richard Betts, who's one of the principal owner investors. Um, met him while I was working at Charlie Bird way back when, um, and we've just been friends ever since. So shout out to him. Uh, this is just another in a long line of quality um, spirits and wines that he's put out, in my opinion. Uh, former Master Sommelier, uh, overall great, great guy. Can't ever say enough about him. Uh, so both these things that I'm sipping on, I just uh, love uh, for their for who I guess for who's behind them, but also um, for the quality of what's in the uh, in the container. Yeah. So I want to get into a conversation about Cristalino because I have opinions on that, but before I do, cause I don't want to get too far off, off, off topic. Now you came onto my radar via the wine enthusiast future 40. Right. And again, like I said, you're wearing the NWO shirt. So immediately I'm like fellow wrestling fan. I need to, I need to talk to this guy, but it was really going into your your history and then kind of figuring out, okay, well, why was he on this list? And one of the things, and, and probably the main driver of it, you know, outside of being a level two psalm, was that you curate playlists for for bars and ones that, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's so much more refined than just hitting play on Spotify, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and you've talked about it in the past in different interviews and things like that. But I was hoping that, you know, just for our listeners' sake, that you can kind of, you know, touch on that and, and explain, you know, why is it so much easier than just hitting the Spotify or, or, or whatever and just letting it play and, and the things that you try to cultivate. Because in some of the interviews that I listened to and read, I mean, you're almost poetic about it, and I don't want to do it an injustice to how I would describe it because I'm a caveman when it comes to this type of stuff. So um, why, don't, why don't you kind of get into why music is so important to you, how you've been able to cultivate this, and why it makes such a big difference in that setting? Um, well, 
it's you know again you, you I think you said it pretty precisely not to be a romantic about it but I just I grew up with music um as successful as I've been in the hospitality industry I've I've never been afraid to admit that I consider myself socially awkward um ever since I was a kid and music was always like my most my favorite form of communication uh whether that be with the world at large or you know whether or with myself when I was trying to figure figure shit out um, so I just grew up listening to all kinds of music. I'm one of those kids that was forced to help clean the house on weekends. So I was listening to my mom's music whenever, you know, I was out with my dad doing, you know, dad and son stuff. I was listening to his music. Uh, I was a sponge in that, um, in that sense, but I never really knew what I was going to do with it. It was always just a, uh, a hobby. It was something that I did for myself. Um, I never any had any aspirations to be in the music industry. Um, I, I had all kinds of other outlandish dreams, but I landed in hospitality. Um, and it really all started uh, when I was working at Charlie Bird in 2013, um, for was the flagship restaurant for a hospitality group here in New York City called The Delicious. Um, and they that was their first restaurant. At that time, they had three uh, two partners, uh, Robert Bohr and uh, Chef Ryan Hardy. Uh, I was part of the opening team on the front uh, front front of the house side. Um, and their concept was simple. It's uh, great food, great wine. Uh, but these guys are a little bit, uh, we're right, actually right around the same uh, age um, group. So they wanted to have, uh, you know, uh, burgundy level wine and, you know, uh, handmade pastas and dry aged uh, steaks. But they wanted to listen to Biggie and Jay while they were doing it. Um, and uh, I would find out later on uh, from conversations with Robert that his train of thought behind that wasn't anything that was world changing. He was just actually selfish about it. He was like, I knew that I was going to be in the space for 14 hours a day. And I didn't want to listen to shit that I hated or that I had no interest in. Right. Right. It just so happened that his selfish thought um, would be something that I would look at as inspiring um, because I didn't see it that way while I enjoyed it. To me, as a kid that grew up in hip hop, when hip hop wasn't cool, it was a sign of acknowledgement. Like we fucking arrived. Um, I have very strong opinions about hip hop being not hip hop culture in this day and age. It's it's American culture that, you know, you anything that has to do with any sort of uh, American culture is laced with hip hop, whether, you know, people want to admit it or not. I mean, you listen, you watch the ESPN top 10 and nine times out of 10, there's a new hip hop song. Like, they play logic on ESPN. You know what I'm saying? Like it's everywhere. Uh, you've got ASAP Rocky doing Calvin, Calvin Klein ads. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Rihanna is a billionaire. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. hip hop is everywhere, you know, not to wax poetic about it. Um, <laughs> so for a kid like me that, you know, grew up being, uh, being stereotyped as, villainous or as a bad person uh in that day and age because i wore my pride of hip-hop you know on my chest um it, it felt good to work in this space uh you know you know uh, to be frank owned by white people where white people were sitting but they were they were not in their heads to big and jay like that shit was new to me uh you know and it, and it instilled a lot of pride in kids like me that grew up in these neighborhoods here in new york because uh, we weren't being like, it was, I don't know. It was just really cool. It was cool to like, be able to say, to learn about Burgundy wine and learn about like, dude, I didn't know shit about 
I was I grew up in one of those neighborhoods that grew up uh, uh, food uh, food illiterate. You know, if it wasn't for my exposure in hospitality in the hospitality industry, I wouldn't know about things like uh, like escarole and uh, you know um, sweetbreads and so on and so forth. But uh, getting back to how all that started, they it was their concept. I was part of their opening team. Uh, I'm really opinionated and talk whenever, about whatever is on my mind, as you can already tell. So, uh, you know, Robert came up with these two short, like two hour playlists and they were cool. They had some cool stuff on it. They would always inspire me to have conversations with him about what was on it. And one day he came to me and he was like, Charlie, do you, do you have like an iPod, an iPod or an iTouch that you can um, bring some music in and kind of switch it up for us? Uh, and I said, yeah, I did. And he said, all right, bring it in. And if it works, we'll play it. And if we play it, you know, we'll figure out, you know, if we're going to pay you for it. Or or he, what he actually said was, we'll pay you for it and we'll figure it out how, you know, moving on. And that was the inception of what would become my company, uh, which is Audio Culture. And Charlie Bird was my first. Um, now, uh, as of today, I have, I want to say, 12 or 13 um uh, restaurant spaces across the country, uh, here in New York, and also uh, uh, even out in California, that um, that pay me to uh, construct pl- music programs for them because it's more than just a playlist. A lot of these spaces have invested their um, their culture, uh, their like um, the formation of their music culture. So a lot of these spaces, all these spaces, I should say, uh, have decided to acknowledge the fact that in this day and age. In hospitality, there's a fourth pillar of what um, in what really makes a dining experience uh, or even just a, a bar experience, too. Uh, and that's music. Um, there there is there is not a space in anywhere, in my opinion, in the country that has a consistently full dining room or a consistently full bar that doesn't use music in some fashion to make that happen. Um, and the plate, the, the spaces or the groups that I work with have decided to really focus on that and work with me and, uh, share, uh, with me, their experience, their experiences. And I share with them mine about how to best construct a music program that enhances the experience that they want to give to their guests. Uh, and so that's what I do now. Um, even, uh, it's at, uh, at my age and at this point in my career, it legit is like 50 50. Um, I get behind the stick still because I love bartending uh, three, four nights a week, depending on my schedule. More actually, more honestly, more like two to three nights a week now uh, because of my position. Uh, yeah. And then the rest of my time, I, I'm listening to music or hanging out with my family or friends. But I'm also focusing on this thing because music is super important. Um, and uh, it's it's refreshing to have. Um, uh, industry um, tight, uh, giants like Wine Enthusiast. Uh, before that, I was also given the same respect from the uh, LA Observer back in, I believe it was 2019. I was one of their uh, future 50 of uh, nightlife and, and industry. Um, uh, it, it's, I don't know, man. Like, I'm rambling, but it's humbling. It, it's, it, I didn't want to be in hospitality like most people I would humbly say um but it's it allowed me the opportunity to do this now and I'm in a good place so that's 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 what that's what audio culture is I guess sorry well and no 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 and now, and now you're on the good bottle podcast so obviously things are going great for you right <laughs> yeah. now it's just like 
the the most up and coming you know industry podcast in the game. Um, <laughs> so so what you, you know for me and I know I know Chris was really excited about this too. But like you know I almost get like goosebumps just listening to you talk about it because you know I feel for myself on my own journey. Now you know Chris has been in bars a lot longer than I have and really behind the stick and really kind of responsible for that. Whereas I've mostly just been in that patron role and really noticing like when, because, you know, I, I think from my own personal experience, like I don't necessarily think that I I'm always noticing the music, but if the music's good, I definitely notice and I take note and the places that I've been around the United States, I'm like, okay. So the one that we talk about a lot on this pod is like Esotico in, in Miami has like one of my favorite, you know, uh, every time I've been there, it's just like the music is always on point. You can go and check them out on Spotify. They have really good stuff. And then now what I'm finding with your stuff too, by going to your Spotify, is like, it's like, oh, this is great. Cause this is a different kind of like get into it. Now we do have a lot of industry people that listen to this podcast. And in, in what I'm also hearing is kind of like this entrepreneurial spirit that you had with it, where you take this thing that, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of parallels to just bartending in general, where it's kind of like, it's not a real job. Like, how can you get paid to do something like that, right? <laughs> like, how do you get paid to to do that? But like, you know, like one of the ones you mentioned being on the West Coast, like, you know, you're in Madre. Like, Madre is a huge group in Southern California and in a very influential group as well. Um, I, you don't need to get into the specifics, but one of the things that I was curious about as I was kind of like li listening to the different playlists and seeing the different, you know, at least client playlists that you have on your Spotify is when you're putting this together. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle when it comes to the quote unquote side hustle or, or whatever, but how do you price that? You know, or like, what is, what are the things that are going through your mind where you're kind of like, Hey, this is how I'm valuing my time. This is what I'm going to charge you because, you know, obviously there is a lot of time and effort that go through this. And then and it also is going to change from one place to the next. Like in one of the interviews that you were talking about, it's like, hey, if we're turning tables two to three times a night, I want that music to kind of build with each with each sitting and then send them all out on a good note. Like I love the fact that you would like you would end a playlist with like nostalgia tracks right because like that just puts everybody in a good mood and so now you immediately associate that with the meal that you just had as well so when it comes to putting that together i mean what was your thought process like okay this is how much i this is how much i charge and again you don't have to do the actual numbers but um like what's it like to determine that because i think that's a that's a point where a lot of people struggle is like how do i value my time and how do i come up with a number and have the confidence to be like you pay me you pay me this and that's what you get right right oh uh that's a great question um uh, honestly, <clears throat> when I first started uh, at the time and I had to price it out, um, I kept in mind that I was, I think, okay, so to quote Fat Joe, uh, yesterday's price wasn't today's price. So my price today is not what I would have charged you when I first started doing this back in 2013, right? Yeah. Um, in, in 2013, when Charlie Bird gave me the opportunity to put their program together, uh, I, I, there was nothing on that I could put on paper. There was no resume of no body of work behind me to where I could go to Robert and Ryan and be like, look guys, this is what I've done. If you mm -hmm. let me play music my way in your space, um, you know, it's going to, uh, bring, you know, it's going to be fruitful for both of us. Um, so I, I, I charged whatever I thought was adequate in, 
the amount of time that I put into it. And, you know, can be, to be completely transparent, I went to, I, I always had a lot of bunch of DJ friends. Um, I lived in New England for a time because I'm a Johnson & Wales graduate. And uh, when I was working out in Providence, I was in the night scene and I got some of my early bartending chops in the nightlife scene over there. So I had a lot of DJ friends. And so I just went to them and asked them, what do you charge an hour to like play music for people? And, you know, based on what they told me uh, and even their prices always fluctuated based on whether they were working at a lounge or at a, you know, two floor nightclub based on whether it was a residency or, you know, how much work they really put into it. And those were the first indications to me that, uh, DJs or, you know, what I do to, I consider myself an artist, uh, while I don't put, while I can't give you something tangible that you can hold in your hand, the program that I build of music on your, on your, on your Spotify account, if you know, whatever a client of mine, you may be that, that is a tool now that you have in your arsenal of hospitality. Um, and I help build that, right. Or I help curate that. It's, it's almost like I'm a consultant, um, like you would hire a chef to come in and cook for you, uh, you know, if you're thinking about having them build the, the, the menu or if you have a beverage director that you come in and they consult on uh, the cocktail program that you're going to have in your space, right? They bring their experience uh, with that, with, um, they bring their experience and they tell you, well, this is what I think we should play or what are you thinking? Well, I think that you should put this cocktail or that cocktail. So when you come to me and you're like, I want to open up this restaurant, the thing about the thing that uh, one of the important things that Charlie Bird taught me was that it doesn't really matter what you your restaurant is. It's it's about what you want um, in terms of like you don't have to m- match uh, food uh, with music. Like there isn't really like a, a and there's no there's no classic pairing, if you will. Right. Right. Like mu- music is champagne. It goes with everything. It's just a matter of how you wanted to represent who you are within your space right like and robert robert's gonna be really proud of that when he hears that that was a freestyle by the way um (laughs) but it's it's what it's what it is right like it's like your music is what you wanted to represent of who you are and robert and ryan were hip-hop heads and that's why they had you know ricky powell pictures on the insides of their menus and they've got like uh lao kuerko the boombox art in their dining room like their little nods to hip-hop were genuine because they were hip hop heads, right? So every client that I've had after that, uh, that's how I approached their program. And, you know, so kind of circling back to your question, that's how kind of how I uh, think about my pricing. Um, yeah. So I have a very specific price that I would charge for an hour. Um, and what that hour of work would entail in terms of like talking about a potential contract with a client is an hour of music work to me is. Uh, if you're asking me to build you a six hour playlist an hour, it's an hour of music that I've collected for you. I've thought about, and I've thought about where every single song is going to go. So one of the specific details that's important about what I do is I curate a playlist. Like again, like, um, any consultant you would hire would curate your menu or your, or your cocktail menu. Right. So I think about all of the ingredients that go into it. There are, in my opinion, there are certain BPMs that quote unquote hit better uh, when you're looking at your 6 p.m. rush versus your 8 p.m. rush versus 10, 30, 11 when you're trying to get people the fuck out of your dining room. Um, and through, again, through trial and error uh, working at Charlie Bird, uh, I was able to figure all that out initially with hip hop. Um, but BPM, you know, B- BPMs and music are a universal thing. Um, and so as I was able to 
evolve my um uh uh, my portfolio, if you will, because I started doing music in different genres for different clients, and like now at, at like now at uh, Cafe Gratitude, which is all you know the, in the same restaurant group as Madre, uh, a lot of their music is like you know dancey and and Euro pop and stuff like that, and it works great um, because in my again going back to my what I was saying, it's it's a universal thing. So that that's how I approach. Uh, char- uh, charging spaces. It's it's also a matter of do you want me to build you one playlist uh, versus um, versus a whole program. Uh, I prefer to work with a space that allows me to build them a whole program. Like you don't hire someone to come in and build you one drink, right? You don't hire a chef to come in and just make one one plate that you put on your menu. It's a it's a package deal, right? Otherwise, then why do it? I think that's, I think that's great. I mean, and, and again, it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, you can see it working, right? Like I said, like I had mentioned before, like people notice when the music is really good. And when you, when you put these packages together, is it kind of like, okay, this one started at four o'clock on this day, this day, this day, this one you pay during brunch. Is that kind of how you break it down for people? Yes. So some spaces uh, are, want to have specific playlists for specific days. Um, and that usually tends to be more of the restaurant spaces. Uh, and then what they do is they will um, let me come in and um, update their programs every four or five months, depending on uh, the frequency of when they want me to come in and do that. Uh, because as you guys know, um, you know, if you, you go to the same space at X number of days every week, uh, if you have to listen to the same thing, it can get tiresome and, you know, just sap your soul completely out of you. Uh, when I was when I was young, right, one of the first um, front of the house jobs I had in hospitality was uh, I was a midway server uh, at a Dave and Buster's. Um, and so the music wasn't really loud, but what was loud were the machines in the arcade area. Right. And I worked so many hours in that space that I would have dreams where those machines will go off in my space. And, right. you know, that's a, that I, I've, I've always shared uh, war stories with other hospitality folks where, you know, some of their worst memories were when they were subjected to listening to some of the worst shit over and over and over again. Uh, my, my, my work, one of the worst times in my life was the one retail job that I had. Um, I worked at an Aeropostale for 18 hours of my life. Right. I worked one holiday shift, and in those 18 hours, I heard U2's It's a Beautiful Day like 60 times because they had it on a two-hour mix CD. This is how old I am. They had it on like a two-hour mix CD, and they had that motherfucker on repeat all day. I quit at the end of the day. I was like, guys, I'm not coming back. I'm out. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> um, and that was one of the early things that would always resonate in the back of my head when I started to evolve, not just uh, how I wanted to um, play music um, at a particular time in a program, but how I was going to pitch it to places too, because um, one of the things that made uh, my music program so successful in when I was within the space of Charlie Bird and then, you know, uh, progressively within their other spaces in their group is that I was always there and, uh, I would always evolve the music program to keep it fresh because I was, even though they were paying me as audio culture, I was still clocked in as Charlie Reyes 
yeah. bartender, uh, server, head bartender, you know, five days a week. And so even though we had already agreed that Monday's playlist was Monday's playlist, if I didn't update that one every like three or four weeks just for myself, I would start to go crazy, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the staff that I worked with appreciated that because like, how do you not appreciate the freshness of that? And so my the way that I talk about it to uh, potential clients is like, you've got to like, if you're investing in your music, then you're, you know, it, uh uh, by by default, in my opinion, you're investing in your staff because music's going to motivate your staff, whether you realize it or not. And when you play great music, your staff is going to respond um, in a great way. But by this, but now you've given them something to to enjoy, right? And so you've got to keep that fresh for them. And it's not a selfish thought because you do the same fucking thing for your guests, right? That's why you. That's why so many restaurants nowadays are farm the table, right? Because they want to be able to have a reason to update their ingredients every three to four months. So, you know, if you're updating your food and, you know, you see the value in updating your cocktail program seasonally, you know, you're putting figs and everything in the winter and you're doing apples and everything in the fucking summer, then why can't you do have the same attention when it comes to music? Again, these, you know, there isn't a space, in my opinion, in the, in the world that doesn't have music at a high fucking level. Applebee's does it. They just go the cheap route and pay the apps that, um, you know, come up with these music algorithms where they collect 5,500 songs, top 40 from the last 15 years and then hit random. But like, that's not what you do with food programs, right? That's not what you do with cocktail programs. So why would you do that with music? Yeah, I I think that's that's totally true. And it seems like it'd be one of those things where, you know, you either kind of get it or you don't in terms of pitching people on the program, because I would assume trying to prove ROI has to be very difficult, right? Cause that's, again, it's not something that's necessarily tangible that, that you can do. Um, so that I, I, I totally, I totally understand that. Charlie, what, what's that like? pitching a new one that you just talked about, Hey, this is going to improve your staff and things like that. But if someone comes to you and they're kind of like, well, show me the proof or whatever. I mean, are you just kind of like, it doesn't, I, I don't really have anything for you. Like you don't get it if you don't get it. But like, what's that like when it comes to getting new clients and things? Um, so at without, I, I try and find the verbiage to, um, to, you know, to say, like, check my fucking credentials, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I've got street cred. And, and what I mean by that, to elaborate on it is, you know, my link tree is there for a reason. Um, the articles kind of speak for themselves. But what I also encourage people, always encourage Glass to do, and I've done it actually in conversations with people in real time when one of us has had a laptop or some sort of mobile device, I, I go to restaurant reviews where my music is played at a loud level. And there are nine times out of 10, the reviews that are great are mentioning the food and the music, excuse me, the food and the drink, but they're also mentioning the fucking music. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was a great time. I really love that they were playing Jay or Big, or, you know, when we're talking about Pasquale Jones, oh, that, you know, that Diana Ross track brought me back to this, this, and that. Um, you know, I've seen it in real time happen. Uh, you know, not, not that I could, you know, not that that would matter to a potential client, 
But because I know that it's a tangible experience, people that want their opinion heard have written about it. And so people write about my stuff all the time. And that's what I say to get to a potential client is like, listen, if you really want the proof, it's there for you. You know, like, mm-hmm. go check it out for yourself. Because um, that's really because that matters to some people like uh, that matters to people. You know, the, the way that um, people feel about their experience within that space. I did a music program of, I think it was two or three playlists for a family owned, uh, red sauce and meatball Italian spot in Jersey. That was all big band. And like, and like Tom Jones was like the hardest shit that I played on that entire music program. So it was like a six hour set of like Goodfellas extended, right? But it was fucking fun, dude. And yeah. they love that. You know what I mean? And when and they uh there and if you go oh man, I wish I remembered the name of the restaurant. But out of curiosity, just to see if my uh if if what I was doing was consistent, I went and I checked their restaurant reviews and sure enough within the time frame of when I started they started using my music Oh, the experience was great. Love that their music matched the culture, blah, 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 blah. And so it's there. The, the, you know, it's there if people really want to do the research on me and my work. Um, you know, I think that if I was a, a snake oil salesman, um, I wouldn't be on lists like a future 40. Right. Um, uh, I think I'm, I'm humbled to be on a list with people that are moving mountains, in my opinion, uh, within our industry. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm just playing music at a really loud level and being like, yo, this shit matters. Um, <laughs> if you're going to play it loud and it matters, uh, that's all I think I'm really doing, uh, in, uh, in comparison to some of the other folks that I'm on the same list with, but you know, like having this, having that award now, uh, uh, under, under my belt, you know, people that are uh, potential clients, like, well, what's this dude really about? Does he really, what does he really know about what I can do within my dining room? motherfucker i just got on this list with all these people like right you know what i'm saying yep the 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 um the observer list the the 50 nightlife list i was on the same list with lebron fucking james like and not that he would ever know who i am but shit like that is humbling right that's 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 the those are my cred that's my credential right kind of go back to what you were asking earlier you know yeah no that's that's amazing how do you how do you approach a uh, I was going to say a menu but I guess it's the same thing a playlist where where maybe the music isn't something that you're super familiar with right like cuz yeah like the Italian restaurant would be a good example of that right you can't all be experts in all genres of music right but let's say like I I, I can't think of one but l- let's just well, let's say let's it's a, let's say it's a Caribbean themed restaurant okay. so in let's Sacramento like regga- reggaeton or dance hall right like, let's pretend you don't know anything about that but that, that's really hard just because I'm a bunny stand, but I get what right, you're right, saying. And that's fair, right? But like let's say you don't know anything about that. How do you approach creating a creating a playlist for uh for you know a, a restaurant that you have zero connection to the music? Um, so I'm from the strain of thought that when you wanna succeed in life, sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it, right? Uh and so I've had projects put in front of me where I had no fucking clue the base of what they wanted. 
but I wasn't going to say no to money. So I was as transparent as I could be in letting them know how familiar I was or I wasn't. Um, um, to be completely honest with you, fortunately for me, a lot of uh, folks have always stayed within the realm of music that I'm already familiar with. But um, to be able to appease the clients that wanted me to do stuff I might not have been familiar with, I did research, not you know, and, and that's all there was to it. Uh, like a chef that wants to expand his portfolio or his or his arsenal, you know, you you go and you learn different cuisines, um, and you do the research for the for the programs that um, I put together. Excuse me for the playlist that I put together for that Italian restaurant. It was it was a little bit of research, but again, being from our generation, I mean, I'm a kid that grew up watching all the Godfather movies and Goodfellas and Donnie Brasco and so on and so forth. So. One of those, I'm one of. If you were one of those kids in the '90s that completely like consumed movie culture or American pop culture, then all of that music was always in the background, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You were listening to Dean Martin, um, not even realizing it when you were watching, uh, uh, you know, Joe Pesci on on screen with Ray Liotta, you know, in iconic scenes with with Bobby D. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And so going back to what I was saying earlier, I was one of those kids that like, I absorbed all that shit. And so while it didn't make sense why I loved it or re- would, re- would want to recognize it, then it started to make sense now. Right. And um, now I'm in the middle of doing a project for a client where, uh, you know, a, a, a big part of the music that they want um, is like early, early to late 2000, like rock and alternative rock and, well, I know some of that stuff, you know, I only know like the, the main hits of the strokes or like the main hits of the hives or the black keys. So now I'm digging, right? Because I want to be able to, um, while those are easy songs that the nostalgia is going to hit for the casual fan, if they're trying to hit that same note with the underground kids, then I've got to be able to play a couple of jewels that only like real pe- real appreciators of that time or of that genre would know right like it's 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 like that for me if i have to think about hip-hop or r&b jewels because that's my realm right um and so as my business has evolved i i i genuinely make an attempt to go and learn um whatever is put in front of me and i've actually my music taste has evolved to the point where like i still listen to hip-hop but you can catch me listening to like B sides of like Diana Ross and like Hall and Oates on my on my own time because I've had to make disco music programs or like I'm into like new Barbara Tucker or like Masters on Wax or Masters at Work because I had to do a deep house program. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, I'm listening to like Grupo Caos or, you know, like Calle Doce or whatever because I had to do like a a Latin or like a cumbia type of program. And so as, as I've been able to do those programs and then also put them on front street, I make sure that now that I've, I've accomplished that and I've said that I can do that, I can still do that when it's called upon again. Um, so it's like anything else we do in hospitality, right? Like my the first time I got behind this stick, I was working at a fucking Dave and Buster's like, you know, I had all of the puckers behind me. I had all of the flavored absolute vodkas behind me, right? Nowadays, I wouldn't clean my bong with any of that shit. 
but it was it was an a, an entry point for me, right? It's how like it's how I evolved as a bartender, and I've kind of tried to take the same approach uh, in evolving this music thing that I do. So, just to just to summarize, um, because there's there's a lot of a lot of really good information here, and I really hope that people, you know, take take the next step if they're not already focusing on their music and, and of course hire you to do it, to do it for them. Um, but let's close out this section and just do the elevator pitch. Why music matters in the bar restaurant scene. Uh, there was an article that came out during, while we were all first coming out of uh, quarantine and I can't remember the source uh, but it was very specific about how with um, social distancing, spaces were going to have to be a lot more conscious of what was being heard within those spaces. And in an effort to uh, uh, sound out all of the uh, pot banging and, and plate uh, dropping and so on and so forth, music was going to have to take center stage in a lot of spaces. Um, nowadays, like I said earlier, there are four pillars uh, to hospitality, to a great experience. There's uh, there's food, uh, there's wine, uh, there's the service, and there's music. At, there isn't a space in in the country that doesn't play music uh, on a loud level. Even McDonald's, when you're when you're standing in there to get your nuggets, they're playing Harry Styles, right? So when you when you care about the details of your space. Music should be one of those details that you care about. Some of the most successful restaurateurs that I've worked with and learned from thought about every single detail that they possibly could within their space. They didn't just think about the food or the wine. They thought about the table bases. They thought about the quality of hand soap that they had in the bathrooms. They thought about uh, the type of bowls that they used, the type of glassware that they used, uh, the type of Joe Malone candles that they put in their bathroom. And so progressively, they thought about music in that same sense, uh, and they're all successful. So if you want to be successful in using music within your space, you should give it that type of respect. I love it. We're gonna have our own. We're gonna have our own good bottle playlist. We'll discuss terms after. Um, this is great. Okay. Well, now I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so the first story that we're going to talk about is uh, rising costs in restaurants and the fact that people are spending less money right now. Uh, so coming out of the pandemic, you know, obviously numbers were starting to rise and get to points of pre-pandemic like numbers. Uh, people were going out again. People were enjoying themselves. And, um, you know, despite staffing issues, people were making it work. Right. And we were putting up similar numbers to pre pre-pandemic. Now, uh, those numbers are starting to dip again, and the main culprit for that is inflation. People are being a lot more selective with going out. Uh, more often than not, when people are tightening the belt, one of the things that kind of goes first is going out to eat, unfortunately, for our industry, uh, and drink as well, people drinking at home uh, and all that. So, um, you know, with that all being said, both of you guys are heavily involved in the industry and we're on two different coasts. So this will be a great, great insight. But Charlie, let's start with you. Um, I think the 
the cool thing about this discussion is that both California and New York had pretty similar approaches to how they handled the pandemic and then the slow rollout coming out of it. Um, now, again, being two places that are not the cheapest places to live, we're kind of feeling it again with inflation. So when reading this and seeing some of the things that they were talking about, some of the numbers that they were reporting, what did that mean to you? What does what are you seeing? Um, you know, what are you seeing at the Garrett? What are what are some of your impressions of inflation and the effect that it's had on the industry so far? Um, well, I, I read the article and I, I do agree with some of what it's saying in terms of people tightening up their pockets a bit. Uh, but when I read the time frame, so I believe according to the article, it was basically within the last quarter or like half year that they're saying that the numbers dipped. Right. Yeah. Um, and if, if you think about that from the hospitality side, of things that just sounds seasonal to me, right? Right. Because if you yeah. think about if you think about the qu- the last quarter or half year, um, you're talking about summertime, mm-hmm. um, and that maybe the last you know the last bit of spring before that. Um, and in my experience here in New York, uh, especially within the city limits, um, you know we everything goes dead in the summer because uh, the the city empties out usually. Uh, traditionally, you know, and this, this a lot of hospitality folks uh, will know what I'm talking about. Usually you get that last stretch uh, from mid-May to the beginning of June where you get like that Mother's Day push. You get uh, graduation, that graduation push. Uh, and then that like end of spring, beginning of summer, you know, nostalgia celebration dinners for whoever. And then a lot of restaurants die down, man. Um, at least here within the city, a lot of restaurants, that, that's when a lot of people who can't get into the exclusive restaurants, excuse me, um, that's when they go. Uh, there's always an ongoing joke here within New York City that uh, New Yorkers um, that don't go out during the year go out during the summer because that's when three quarters of the city is, you know, in the Hamptons or so on and so forth. So um, I can tell you from experience of working uh, in a very busy bar uh, that 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 trend is that was the same for us. Uh, I just started at the Garrett in June, and um, it it seemed like you know traditional summer like a summer vibe, and that's because the Garrett's a speakeasy that's not on top of a roof, doesn't have big windows, it's not a beer garden. You know, in my experience, I, I like I've never worked in L.A., but if you're saying L.A. is like New York, then open spaces are always going to be busier, especially during nice weather. Uh, in New York, that's a lot more of a concentrated time time frame. So it it that's it. I think it reflects sales, um, in terms of what the article was saying. Now to expand on that a little bit uh, more, um, I also think that coming out of quarantine, a lot of people are just eating and drinking differently. Um, I think that on both sides of the equation within hospitality, whether you're a consumer or, you know, uh, a captain or a bartender or a SOM or whatever, you're just approaching the way that you uh, either sell things or enjoy things differently, right? Like there's a whole evolution within the wine industry of a new world wine being made in an old world fashion that's a lot more affordable. Uh, And so rather than deal with import-export and, you know, the tariffs that come with that or so on and uh, there are bottles that are being sold, I'm sure, in mass quantities. They're just not necessarily the 
maybe two, three, or four hundred dollar bottles that used to be sold before. Now you're getting like newer winemakers that are selling cooler stuff in that same fashion. I think that might have something to do with it as well. So I think it's just a combination of different things. I also think there's been a shift uh, in terms of the staffing that there is uh, within the hospitality industry. And I think that that does uh, uh, progressively affect sales, right? There are a lot of vets uh, within our industry that didn't come back or shifted to do something else. And so if you had a handful of Psalms within a market that were consistently selling you know, X, Y, Z wine portfolios at a consistent click, but they're not doing that anymore because they went on to become winemakers themselves or started to do something else. Like that's, that's going to affect sales as well. Uh, And so I think it's like a bigger umbrella of just a lot of shifting plates within hospitality uh, coming out of quarantine that's affected sales in general. Yeah. Chris, so what do you, what do you think? I mean, you think it's a, kind of what Charlie just just laid out it's seasonal it's staffing it's all the fun stuff I I think Charlie hit the nail on the head is specifically with you know this article that we're that we're looking at in in business journal is uh paying attention to one metric uh and and that's depletions also side note my favorite part about this about this article that we're referring to is uh that they had to explain what depletions are my favorite sentence just made me laugh out loud, which is uh, the Davis data service uh, by distributor trade group uh, uh, tracks how quickly or slowly those beverages are moving from distributor inventory to where they're sold for on or off premise consumption, a metric called depletions. <laughs> it just fucking made me laugh. It was so good. I was like, oh, man, there's so many people who just don't know what depletions are. This is great. Let me explain. The more you drink the more the depletions. It's really that simple. It's good. Uh, But I think there's, you know, just like Charlie would say, there's so many moving parts to our industry and, and to what's going on from, you know, uh, you know, COVID having actually, you know, killed a lot of fucking people. And a lot of those people were part of our industry uh, to a lot of people being, permanently ill that can't work in this industry as well. Having a shortage of labor force is going to affect what you can sell and how you can sell, right? Like that's, that's just a massive, a massive part that like elephant in the room that isn't being talked about when we're talking about the economics of this industry. I, you know, you and I drew have read umpteen, you know, endless, endless articles, And I haven't seen that one point brought up once in the last year from any journalist writing about our industry. And it's, it's reaching the point where it's fucking infuriating, really. Like no one's talking about the fact that like our labor shortage is based on the fact that like, there's a lot of people who are not alive anymore. Well, I thought we were just lazy. I thought that's, I thought we were all lazy. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah, like none of, none of that is, is, is being calculated into the economics of, any of this and that's just outrageous to me like i just i can't i can't really express it enough so when we're talking about like tracking depletions like if you have less people to sell the shit less shit will move so yeah sure does in does uh um um sorry uh, uh the economy have a part to play in this yeah obviously but is it the only part? No, not the only part. 
Well, I think, you know, just on, and this is a personal antidote, not as obviously, I don't, I don't know how everyone's going to be, but, you know, going out is something that is ingrained in me, right? And I know in you guys as well. And if you spend any amount of time in this industry, there is always an infinite rope that you're giving people, right? Because you're just kind of like, you can get away with murder practically with me, you know? As long as you don't just come out and spit in my face, like you're probably going to get at least 15% tip, right? And, but I will say that for myself, um, I'm still going out as much, if not more, than I used to. But I'm finding myself going to fewer places because when you do get outside, like, we went to um, a restaurant, me and my wife, this past Friday, and you know you get the bill at the end of the, at the end of the at the end of the meal, and and I just looked at it, I was, I was like, did that feel like this amount of money experience? And it was like, no, it it didn't feel like that, because I think there are those little things that you can do that even though I'm paying more, like yeah, I'm paying for this, like I get it, I I want to pay this stuff, I don't have a problem with it, but you know, due to those, like whatever the shortages are, just like the lack of attention to detail or whatever, like that is an assessment that I, that I now have that I didn't have before where it was just kind of like, I was like, okay, well, you know, if, if it's a sub, you know, three figure number, it's kind of like whatever, but most of the time it's really hard to go out and not pay more than three figures to eat anywhere at this point, you know, like, it's because of like that price doesn't play a factor. And so I wondered if that's also, you know, like I said, and, and the article does touch on it, right. Where it's like, it's like, yeah, oh, people are being more selective and stuff. And I just know for myself, anecdotally, again, it's, it's like, okay, probably not going back to that place, you know, because I know that I can go to X, Y, and Z pay a similar amount and have a better experience, you know? Well, so I where, don't know where, infl- where inflation does hit, you know, it, it is, twofold right like not only do you drew have less money to spend on on your experience uh that is x amount of dollars but that experience has also increased in price simply because you know cost of goods has gone up right right well no that's what i and that's what i totally understand and that's why you know again it's like if i'm if i'm if i'm paying that money and i still have a great experience like oh that's fine like i i totally get it it's just sometimes you know you do like you know perhaps becoming a little bit more critical of it. It's kind of like, like okay, maybe I'm not going to be as adventurous going and trying new places, right? Because you do kind of want that sure thing. Now, if I go to a place, it's like, oh, we have something new. I'm like, okay, great. Because you haven't failed me before. Uh, so so I'll do that. I mean, I don't know. For for you, Charlie, What it, have you felt the effects of that? I mean, has your going out experience changed at all as prices increase and things like that? Or do you, I mean, where, where are you at just on a, on a personal level as well? Um, well, I think that the experience for, um, for folks like us can be a little subjective sometimes because depending on the level that we may ascend to in terms of our careers, um, we, not only do we produce, memorable experiences for folks, but it becomes something that, you know, we really value when we go out ourselves. Right. Um, and we, we become a lot less, uh, intrusive as a guest. Um, and sometimes that works against us because we get forgotten because we're not as uh, vocal when we're not being served correctly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now with all that said, um, here in New York, uh, again, being uh, my experience is objective because 
I've been able to go have access to places um, maybe that other folks haven't had. Uh, and to be completely transparent, some of those experiences haven't been the best, right? Uh, but um, uh, I think that when it comes to how I spend my money, I look for uh, word of mouth within the city. You know, within the city, I ask friends, I ask colleagues, "Well, have you heard about this place? What do you think about this place?" Um, but also, uh, the, uh, I I don't like like uh, like you said, Drew. I don't mind spending the money as long as I feel like it was worth it, right? And I'm not pretentious. I don't expect, I used to work at the grill uh, here in the, the old Four Seasons space, uh, you know, where they film all the Mad Men episodes. And uh, it was one of the worst experiences of my life, right? Fuck that space. Um, but what what one of the things that really fucking bothered me about working there uh, was that their, um, their, uh, their soignees for guests were known as uh, WTWs, right? Whatever they want. And so they would have this one dude that would sit at the bar as a regular. And within the building, there were three, there are three restaurants all within the same restaurant group. This dude would sit at our bar, but our kitchen would have to make him like an appetizer from the other two spaces at the same time within our kitchen because he wanted it. Right. Um, that sucks. That's fucking bullshit. Right. So, you know, kind of just to, to bring that point to your question, um, I look for spaces that make me feel like that, whatever, without ever having to do that type of shit for me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, totally. I've had, I've had like some of the most memorable meals that I've had in in New York City. I had a like one of my favorite spots here in New York is a Mexican spot not too far from my house here called Estrella Problana, right? Family owned Mexican spot. Uh, you know, like they work in jeans. They've got plastic aprons. But the attention that they give to every single table, like, and I know our industry, like, I know what the fuck we're doing, right? So you, I, I watch them run their dining room, and they run it like, like, like we would run a family party. Like, there's one person running the dining room, and everybody's like having a great time. Like, everybody's laughing with their tables. It's fucking great, dude. It's great. And like, I've, I've had a dinner of six there, and spent two hundred dollars, uh, food and drink, not including the tip, like. That's unheard of, you know? So <laughs> to, to me, it's a matter of value and the experience, you know, nowadays not to discredit anybody's um, innovation or how much attention they pay to their food. But nowadays everybody's farm to table, right? Nowadays, everybody's organic. Nowadays, everyone's got natural wine, especially in cities like ours where you've got thousands of restaurants, right? Um, but you're going to find sometimes the best experiences in the smallest spaces, like uh, Drew, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Or, oh wait, I don't. Do you live in, in LA by any chance? No, we're up in Sacramento area. Oh, okay. So I just watched this uh, street food uh, Netflix series, uh, and the first episode was about this family that makes these uh, carnitas tacos, uh, and it started out as like a like a fucking food truck um, outside of their front front door. Like they started it outside of their house, and they just opened their brick and mortar. And apparently within the city of L.A., this family's food is legendary. And like that's the type of experience that I look for. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. I don't give a shit about what Eater says about your restaurant. It's like I care about what like your bar back or what your busters say. Like if I ask a homie who has a homie that works in your restaurant if the food is good and he's like, papi, don't nobody say la comida. 
no está buena. I'm not going there. You know what I mean? Like the staff and the staff and the people that are in the know are kind of the ones that are not going to lie to you. Right. You know? Right. Because they're around it every single day. Right. And exactly. if they're not, and if they're not willing to eat it, then it's just kind of then. Yeah. If it's no good, it's no good. So, I mean, especially in LA, I mean, I think, you know, in California in general, we are so fortunate to have the access to Mexican food that we do. Right. And it does, you know, make it hard to go to other places. And even in within California, you know, like if you're from San Diego, you're like, fuck LA. If you're from LA, you're like, fuck San Diego. And then so on and so on and so on. And it's just like, and then don't even get us started on Northern California, Mexican food. Like, it's just, it's pretty hilarious. Um, and, and I agree with you. It's like, there's still plenty of opportunities to be had in, in places that, you know, you don't have to spend, you know, $200 to enjoy yourself. But, you know, when you do, you want to make sure it is a good time. So, um, and not just because beef was a little bit more expensive this month, you know? So, um, all right, let's put a wrap on that one. Let's move forward. Okay. So the next thing that that we're talking about, and this is something that Charlie kind of touched on earlier is, you know, the growing, the diversity in the workplace and what some of the bigger companies are doing. So the article, uh, highlighted two companies. One was Molson Coors and the other one was Consolation. Consolation is one of the biggest companies, uh, spirit companies and beer companies in the world. Um, and them, and the, the thought process of basically getting rid of the nepotism that has existed in this industry for so long for like family members just being handed the empire to now trying to be active in having a more diversified sales force, a more diversified um, boardroom, and all the different steps that they're taking towards that. Um, with that being said, you know, that's a pretty wide open category, right? And what's actually being said versus what actually is being done. So Charlie, when you read it, what were some of your reactions to it? What were, I mean, you know, again, like one of the things that you said is like, there was a perception of you growing up because of the way you dressed, the way that you looked. And then, and then in the bar industry, like, that is something that there's a lot of people focus on changing how we go about diversity in, in, in the industry. So what, what did this say to you? I mean, did it seem more kind of just like a lot of fodder or do you think these companies are actually doing stuff that's going to benefit everybody? Um, when I read the examples of what they're doing, um, I think that the effort is genuine but I also think that there's a certain amount of performativeness to it. Um, and what, what I mean by that is, uh, yes, I mean, inclusion is a big deal, obviously. You know, it, I'm not saying that it's not. I think that it is. But I also feel that these are things that are happening almost like a day late and a dollar short. Um, you know, so when I say performative, I also think it's reactionary. Uh, these are announcements that could have been made two years ago um, when the BLM movement was a lot fresher within our industry uh, in terms of companies trying to do something for it. And again, while I'm not knocking the effort, um, I, I also think that some of the verbiage that you was used could be thought about a little bit more because I think that there's a systemic difference in tradition uh, excuse me, that there, there, there can be a coexistence is what I meant to say between tradition and evolution of inclusion, right? Because um, I think that the traditional formula for champagne shouldn't change. 
but you know, but the flip side of that is like, uh, I, I, um, yeah, I was watching your, uh, Dos Tequilas podcast, uh, reel, uh, Drew, when you guys were talking about, um, tequilas, right. And like family owned versus not family owned and like how some of the newer tequilas that are, have better like PR, better marketing are owned by like rich white dudes that don't give a shit about the culture or, or the, or the spirit itself. Um, and I agree with you with that. And so like, I'm more of the, you know, family owned estate tequilas to thrive. I want, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that, uh, within that, uh, mindset that the folks that started it, um, uh, and, uh, should continue to make it in that same fashion, those, that family can in turn still make, you know, like example would be like the Fortaleza family, like they can still make Fortaleza in the way that they do. Uh, and then, but still start to employ, you know, LGBTQ folk or BIPOC folk, um, yeah. because spirits are a universal thing, you know, going back to, we were talking about hip hop and it being part of American culture. There are a lot of liquor portfolios that should be thankful that hip hop culture embraced their uh, spirits the way that they fucking did. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, before, before Diddy went ahead and made his, uh, they were, he was, they were talking about goose and so on and so forth. Like, um, you know, but I'm rambling. Uh, but <laughs> so I think that, I think that the, the effort is noble, but I think that the, but I think that at this point, uh, what I went saying is it too little too late is I'm, at this point, as a as a brown professional, I'm more interested not in the efforts of what white-owned folks or uh, companies are doing. I'm more interested in how I can help elevate black-owned business or LGBTQ-owned business. The time of you guys allowing us to exist is kind of past. It's more of like this shit was, was kind of ours from the beginning um, in terms of like our presence. And now we're just going to do what we do. Like... We don't necessarily need your permission to exist anymore, uh, you know, because we have we're making avenues for ourselves. So while I appreciate that you're going to try and diversify your, you know, your employees by 30 percent over five years. Like, what the fuck is that? Dude, that's not an effort. You know what I mean? Like, come on. You know, they're they're what annoys me most about big companies that put make do all of these uh, press releases about the efforts that they're having is that you have all of this money, power and influence to make all of these reports and all of these tweets and all of these reels about what you're doing, but you don't have that same energy to amplify what you're doing to a bigger extent. Like there's gotta be more of a shift in the energy into uh, that they put into what they're actually doing versus patting themselves on the fucking back because they're doing it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's like, man, like how altruistic are are we, you know, to do it? and and I think when it comes to to amplifying voices, I think that I think that definitely resonates with Chris and I because you know we had this conversation, we've referenced it on the on the podcast before, where you know Chris was planning on doing a Juneteenth celebration at his store and was finding it to be very frustrating in that a lot of um, you know, the people he was reaching out to just couldn't provide any black owned products for him. And, and I, you know, my response was like, well, have you ever asked before, you know, and that was a, and that ended up being a reflection on us and our whole effort. And then I know for myself personally, where I've fallen short is like, 
I put a lot of emphasis on Mexican owned brands within Mexico and things like that. And, but I also leave room for my friends and producers who don't want to own a brand who just want to make it, make their money and move on. So I, I totally respect that as well. And I think that's, that's everybody's choice. Um, but I've often overlooked people here in the States, right? Whereas like so much emphasis went to Mexico, so much emphasis went to different, you know, different countries, went to the Caribbean and things like that, where I know I was like, it's like, oh, well, I'm not really building up anybody here. And that's a problem. So I think that definitely resonates with me where it's kind of like, like, man, like there's people who need more of an amplified voice next door, not across the border. Right. Um, Chris, I know this is something that you guys have really tried to emphasize with the opening of Bodega and highlighting things, you know, within the Sacramento region that have never been highlighted before. So, you know, we've had articles like this. We've, we've seen things like this. I mean, it, was there any other takeaway or did Charlie just sum up everything so perfectly once again, that we should just make him the third host of this podcast? (laughs) I've got, so, so this, uh, this brought up a a few things for me. Um, on a, a personal note, you know, uh, I was having a conversation with Karthik the other night. Um, Karthik's a a friend of Drew, uh, of mine and Drew's, uh, he owns, uh, uh, brand called phenomenal spirits which uh has uh you know rye three in there and ron Azalco, more importantly the ron Azalco. should put that out there um and one of the the topic moved in the evening as we were drinking and hanging out and you know just discussing things and one of the things that i was pretty adamant about is i was like dude you gotta you gotta kind of lean into the fact that you're not a white owner well you know i I struggle with the idea of coming from a place of weakness. I was like, in what situation does talking about not being a white owner mean that you're approaching this from a place of weakness? Like that. Kartik is from India, just for everybody who doesn't know where Kartik is from. (laughs) So Uh, uh, clue those details, Chris. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I figured his name kind of gave it away. My bad. Um, Racist. uh, Don't do that. That's, um, I think that there's got to be a, a a global mind shift in how we talk about these things. Being a white owner of a brand does not somehow mean that you know more shit, right? Like in no way. But we are so fucking conditioned, and the, the way that the 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 PR works around around the advertising, the marketing of these things is like, hey, look at us the white saviors helping out people who don't have a place here, but we're making a place just like what Charlie said, right? Like that's such a bullshit narrative, you know, anybody in this industry, like in the spirits industry would be so lucky to have Ebony major on your team of, uh, of, uh, of blenders, right. Or Victoria Butler, who's a master blender for, for um, uh, uncle nearest, right? Like they are stellar palettes. And none of that has color attached to it. Like, they're just insanely good at what they do. The fact that, like, all of a sudden now race and ethnicity comes into it is only because white Americans have dominated the space for so long that, I, you know, in my, in my mind, when I read this, all I kept hearing was, like, the Tucker Carlson crowd 
being like, oh, look, woke culture taking over bourbon now, right? Now we're kicking, we're kicking people out of their family homes just so we can make space so we can be woke, woke whiskey, right? Like that's like, yeah. that's the tagline I've kept fucking hearing as I was reading this shit. And I was like, shut, shut up. Cause I could hear those arguments already purveying. And it's not that space is being created i mean constellation has done a has done a good job of patting themselves on the back for this and and they deserve they deserve a little bit of attention and a little bit of congratulations for doing the bare minimum the fact that the fact that the bare minimum is is higher than the ground floor of of where the industry is is kind of bullshit and we need to acknowledge that so good job constellation you're doing the bare minimum let's Let's move past that. Let's start bringing in owners of brands and blenders and producers and winemakers who are who have a different narrative, who just have a different life experience because that makes everything so much more interesting, right? And then it's not about, hey, look, we're woke and we have this culture. It's like, no, we've got we've got a diversified flavor experience, and you can go here and experience this or you can go here and experience that it's not it's not about like hey we're the white saviors let's fucking let's you know bring everybody up it's it's let's make shit more interesting in our industry and change the narrative of what it means to be more interesting and deliver a a, a more honest experience of of what life is um, I, I think I think to, to if I if I could add to that, I think it's also like um, more than just allowing, um, you know, BIPOC or LGBTQ folk to work for them. It's figuring out ways to make those same communities want to work for you, but also more importantly, feel represented by you. Yeah. Uh, I think that the most successful um, professionals in any industry are folks that take that are proud of what they're doing and who they're doing it for because that's one of the things that motivates you whether you realize it or not right and i think that these companies aren't going to get their you know the return on interest that they might be looking for until communities like ours start to feel like like i don't think cores gives a fuck about our communities like show me that in your commercials like in Super Bowl commercials, like have the homies drinking Coors as opposed to <laughs> showing me another fucking, com- like, you know, not, I know it's not Coors, but just to round out the thought, like I don't need to see another dog and ho- horse commercial as touching as it fucking is, right? Like at some point you've got to start to think about who is really, who, who you, not just who you want to have working for you, but, you know, by proxy there, you're going to start to represent them if they're doing things the right way. And you've got to be comfortable with that being part of your corporate identity. Right. And if as a corporation, that's not, you know, you're not down with, you know, you know, for less with urban culture being part of your identity, then, then we're not going to give a fuck about you. Consumers nowadays are a lot more intelligent in how corporations view them than the people before us were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And obviously the internet and social media has a lot to do with that. Um, there, we just by, you know, by evolution of technology, we're a lot more of an intelligent uh, consumer base for any industry. 
Uh, and until corporations start giving us credit for being more intelligent than we actually are, um, you know, things are not going to evolve in a positive manner. And I mean, that's true about politics. Uh, Drew, you know, for a fact, that's true about pro wrestling. Bookers <laughs> don't they don't acknowledge how smart their 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 um, consumers really are. You know, yeah. whether or not we have a strong opinion is irrelevant. We're smart enough to do the research to form that fucking opinion, as subjective as it might be. Yeah, and I well, think I, I think we've done a really good job of of not bringing wrestling into this podcast, which is which I didn't <laughs> think we'd be able to pull off when we first got on the call. So, but it, you know, to 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 finally bring it in, you know, like this is happening in every facet of our lives. So there is a big push within professional wrestling to also amplify more of uh of these different voices and people that you know to charlie's point have been there this entire time right um and and i know that we're starting to run a little long and this is obviously something that we could do for a very long time so i think just i got, to kind I, got of... I got one more point i i'd okay. like to i'd like to okay. throw interject here is we're talking about brands that that exist that we're talking about the, the point that was made from from this article that we're uh, that we're, we're referencing, which of course will get thrown into the uh, the um, the footnotes of the um, uh, you know uh, of this episode. But how about uh, just a, an idea? These brands that are investing so much in incubation, right? As Constellation does, uh, instead of instead of making space. How about they invest some of their money into buying wines from these different communities to actually like actually invest, right? And and not just not just creating an employee. Let's let's build up the owners and the the artisans who are actually doing this, right? Like how about Constellation actually give some money to like Denor Distilling, right? right? Or or bring in Tara Gomez as a consultant and bring in some of her wine brands. You know, she's LGBTQ, she's First Nation. You know, if you actually give a shit, like, how about you actively seek out these gangsters who are out here doing real shit and making really cool juice and having a different conversation rather than just like opening up a opening up a um, you know a new employment spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's wrap it there because we got to move on to to my favorite section. Drew, we're we're losing you a little bit on our end, but I'm sure that we're gonna it'll all work out in post. Um, let's move on to Drew's favorite uh favorite section here. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay. So can you guys hear me? Yes. Did I come back yeah. at all? All right. Yes. Good. So you're gonna hear me say my favorite section and then Chris say my favorite section right after because we're so uh, predictable. Uh, we're going to do Dope Follows. Dope Follows is my favorite part of the show because we're going to tell you who you should be checking out. It could be an Instagram account, another podcast, a book, a show. It doesn't matter. We want people appreciating and checking out dope things. Charlie, you're kicking us off. Who's your Dope Follow? Um. So for my Dope Follow, I'm going to list uh, a organization that i actually am applying to become a member of um and that's the uh huta the hue society um so the hue society is a um is a collective of like-minded folks 
who are focused in wine and wine culture. Um, they, I went to an organizational, like invitational meeting of theirs a, uh, about a month ago, kind of fell in love with what they were talking about. One of my good friends, Eric Fleming, um, is the new vice president of the New York city chapter. Um, so, uh, I'm just really excited about kind of what they're trying to do. So I wanted to plug them. Uh, their Instagram account is, uh, huge to the core, uh, underscore NYC. So that's. H-U-E-C-O-T-H-E-C-O-R underscore N-Y-C. Um, and their link tree is the uh, exact same uh, address. Nice. That's uh, one of our former guests, Nadia, is is a part of the Hughes Society out here in California. And they've done some really cool events and good fundraisers. And, you know, again, amplifying the right voices. Um, Chris, who's your Delfalo? Uh, mine is both a book and a Netflix series. It's uh, High on the Hog, written by um, uh, Jessica Harris. Uh, she is uh, she is uh, professor emeritus. Uh, but the Netflix series is uh, is incredible. I've only just jumped in into it. Um, it's really really incredible. Just a great story as we talk about yeah. amplifying voices and and a history of of what goes into um, the culture of our industry. Um, it's just it's fascinating to watch. High on the hog, do it. Get the book. Read more of her books. Read more books in general. That's what I got. What about you, Drew? Um, so I feel like your guys's are super uplifting, and mine is not at all. <laughs> So just my <laughs> genre. Um, okay. I love aquariums, right? I was just at the Monterey Bay Aquarium last week and I just I I you know, I think like Why a lot you of hate people, shampoo, bro. No, I just I know no, not not shampoo. I don't want whales. So I want just smaller Why do you things. Hate shampoo? I want smaller, I want smaller, smaller ones. Not, oh, so 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 it's okay for dolphins to be in prison, but shampoo has to be free. That's cool. Yeah, I'll die on that hill. That's fine. Whatever. You know, like it's <laughs> um but one of one of the creatures that I always find just super fascinating and also you know just terrifying are uh, are moray eels, right? Just like freaking water snakes, dude. Like that shit is absolutely terrifying to me. And I got served this account the other day that is this guy who has moray eels, right, in like a personal collection. And I don't know the legalities involved in this. I don't know really all the things. I've been trying to like kind of dig a little bit deeper. Obviously there's, there's lots of like animal people who hate this guy, but watching his videos is absolutely fascinating. And it's his Instagram is the Moray master. So it's the Moray is M O R A Y then master. And it's just, and he only, the videos that he does, he only shows when they're feeding. So like they're very active and stuff like that, which also just watching these things eat just amplifies the terror. Right. Um, but it's so interesting. It's, uh, he always has, you know, bringing it back to each other. So there's always music associated with every video that he does. Um, I've just recently became a convert to it. And it's, if, if you like any, and he has, he has like a puffer fish as well. He has a couple other aquariums that he has set up and they all have these different personalities and I'm still trying to learn everybody's role, but, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun, vo- uh, follow. And, uh, yeah, I just, I can't have an aquarium at my house because I have three cats and they would just, 
obviously destroyed at some point um and a and a four-year-old so would also destroy it uh but yeah that's i but i can look at them on instagram and i my favorite my favorite part of uh the monterey aquarium is the big dark room with the 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 big wall oh yeah the The deep sea the deep sea experience and yeah uh, I, i got so excited when uh when we went um last year because uh, there were like three sea turtles and I fucking love sea turtles that yeah. uh, I literally I like I turned into into like a uh, like a five year old. I like I jumped. I got real yeah. giddy. I jumped and I like threw the stroller at my wife and I like ran up to the window. and I was like, ah, turtles. <laughs> it's so. So, Charlie, I would assume you've never been to the Monterey Bear Aquarium, right? OK, so basically the you know it's it's this really great spot that they they, what they contribute to just sea life in general is is really amazing but the aquarium itself they have this uh open sea exhibit and basically it is you walk into this room and the aquarium from the floor from like like the the glass from the floor to the ceiling is probably 30 feet 35 Mm -hmm. feet right it is massive and it basically simulates what the open ocean looks like and some of the different animals that would be in it. And what's cool is you can go up, you can go upstairs and you can sit on the top level too. And I'm, I'm not joking. I could spend all day in that yeah. room and Easy. just watch, watch them swim because it's so incredible. It's, it's so moving. And when we went, you know, last week, of course, you know, my four year old's like, like, yeah, this is cool. And then she's immediately on to the next thing. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, no, give me like two more minutes to sit here and appreciate this. I want to, um, I want to go back and uh, sit in that room on mushrooms. I think that that would just be the most amazing day I could spend. I mean, if you're not already doing that, I don't know why you even go to the aquarium, but you know, it's, good question. it's just, it's a uh, wow. But yeah, so check out, the Moray Master, and I gotta tell you guys, it's pretty. Some, those are some pretty dope follows. Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated and brought to you by the Moore Brothers and produced by us two guys. Before we go and uh, finish these drinks that we've been drinking, uh, we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast. You can follow us on our personal accounts. There is the Chris Sinflair or D Garrison Six. Charlie, where can they find you on the social medias? Uh my handle on the Instagrams is I am Audio Culture. So it's uh I underscore A M underscore Audio Culture, one word. Uh, my link tree is also audio culture and uh, my email. If you ever want to shoot me an email to talk about whatever audio culture, LLC at Gmail. And you have, uh, a, I do have, you have a Spotify have a list too, right? You have a Spotify Oh yeah. List? So yeah, that I always forget to mention that. Thanks man. So on Spotify, um, I, I have uh, more than a handful of playlist mixtapes, if you will, that I update occasionally. Um, and they're always there for free. It's just small examples of what I do within the spaces that my clients allow me to. Um, and that's uh, under audio culture as well. So if you search audio culture, two separate words in Spotify, uh, look for the profile that has a handsome pit bull as the uh, picture uh, looking annoyed under a blanket. That's my, it's my little boy, Opie Winston. Uh, but that's my account on uh, Spotify. Chris. I got to keep reading the script, don't I? My bad. I got really 
into the idea of the dog. Uh, uh, if you would like for us to cover a story or you're working on a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also visit thegoodbottleshop.com to purchase bottles and all kinds of fun stuff. Until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers! Gotta tell you, been listening to the Pasquale Jones mixtape the last few days, and uh, it's fire. I had it on at the restaurant the other night, uh, and actually last night, and uh, everyone, all the homies were losing their mind. They're like, this is this is insane. This you is gotta insane. charge him. Thank you gotta you, charge man. him. Don't let him get away with this. Charge no, it's him. Cool. Get him a bill. <laughs> so that's why those that's why those are only two hours, uh, so that people can take them, but like you can't really use them for service over and yeah. over because you'll get tired of them real quick. You know, they're like. They're like little like tidbits, you know, like it's the it's the push your tea train of thought. Like I'm just gonna hook you and then yeah. you got I'll get you on the comeback. You know what I it mean? It works, dog. It works. It's fucking great. <laughs> uh, thank you.